You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. The spiritual man or woman learn to practice the presence of God. They live in the Word, they live in prayer, and they have learned that when the flesh wants to rise up, by the power of the Spirit, they put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's easy to see that Paul's command in verse 16 is a command to return to the way God originally meant for us to be. Have you ever felt enslaved to your problems? Have you ever felt like you are trapped in your mistakes? Well, today, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that if you want to forever change your life for the better, you need to give your heart to the Lord. No matter how strong-willed or self-sufficient you are, you'll never move past your issues on your own. God wants nothing more than to put your hang-ups in the rearview mirror, leave the lies of this world behind, and invest in eternity. Let God's perfect grace wash over you. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians chapter 5 as he continues his message, The Fate of False Teachers. Let me remind us here, we have not been set free to sin. We are set free from sin. All right? We are no longer dead in sin, thank God. We are dead to sin. That's good stuff. We can pause and see law on that one the rest of the night. I want you to know, Jesus didn't save you so you can have liberty to go do what you want. He saved you so you can have the power to do what you should. To abuse our freedom to indulge the flesh would not be liberty, but license. Now, now that we are free in Christ, we should operate in love by serving others. Read verse 14 with me. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. The whole law they were so zealous to want to keep was fulfilled in one word, love. If you love, you will fulfill the law. So says Paul, if you want to keep the law, there it is, love each other. And if you love each other, you won't break the law. Not only are we not free to indulge the flesh, but we're also not free to indulge in conflict, which churches are very, very known for. Look what he said in verse 15. He's talking about Christian cannibalism. That's right. Look at verse 15 and read it with me. If this isn't cannibalism, I don't know what is. You're eating people. Isn't that what it says? All right, let's read it. But if you and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed. Eating each other alive. Wow. Churches can literally devour and consume one another when disunity appears. When disunity appears and there's a church fight, I have seen Christians devour one another. Have you ever noticed this about the world, particularly liberals? One of their own can do something terrible, but they will still stick with them. Have you ever noticed that? You know why the Tower of Babel had to be stopped by God? Because they were so unified that the only thing that could stop them was an act of God. They were unified in a wicked endeavor. So often you will see church people who, who ought to be more unified than anybody. 
I mean, if the wicked can be unified in a wicked endeavor, we ought to be completely, unbreakably unified in a righteous endeavor. And yet, not much, doesn't take much, and we're at each other, consuming one another, slandering each other, devouring one another, eating each other alive, churches split, Christ is not glorified, happens all the time. We need to stick together. You do something terrible, I take you under my wing and say, have you repented? Yes, I forgive you too, I'm with you. I'm not gonna turn on you. I'm not gonna put you out to pasture because you make a mistake. I'm gonna kick you out. Treat you like you've got the plague but I wanna see you restored. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus. The Galatians have been fighting and quarreling with each other, likely over the keeping of the law. It is always the case that when the leaven of false doctrine is injected into a community, discord and disunity are at the door because it causes dissension. But good doctrine brings unity, good teaching, brings unity every time. We should never attempt to settle problems by fighting and quarreling. Let me give you a little advice. Hot heads don't bring cool-headed solutions. The best fighter is never angry. He's calculated and wise. Never angry. At the beginning of chapter five, I said that Paul would next discuss four laws. The law of liberty in Christ, Let's read these together. Four laws that we're going to see in this. We've already seen a couple of them. The law of liberty in Christ, law of likeness to Christ, the law of love for Christ, and the law of life in Christ. We just looked at the first one, the law of liberty. Now let's look at the law of likeness to Christ. All of Paul's letters, all of them, deal with belief followed by behavior. He said, if I give you truth, I want you to walk it out. Don't just be a hearer of the word and not a doer. But when you hear truth, it is so that you will walk it out. Do what you hear. Always principle followed by practice. That's all that Paul wrote. That, that's the way he wrote everything he did. Here's the principle. Here's the truth. Now walk it out, practice it, and live it. Now, the end to all his teaching is that we are to be like Jesus. He wants us to understand that God has made provision for us to be truly like Jesus. How many of you believe that? Now, those of you that are married, I wonder if I could ask, you know the person you're married to knows more than anybody else? If you're more like Jesus than you were last year? You can ask Kathy, is Jeff more like Jesus than he was last year? Don't ask her. I'm just saying you could. Nobody knows you like the ones you live with, right? But the people we live with ought to be able to say, you know, I know them very well, and they are more like Jesus than they were last year. Because that's what God's after. He liked Jesus so much, he wants a whole bunch of little ones running around. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you know what? God wants you to look like Jesus. Well, that was about half hard to turn to the other side and tell them the same thing. <laughs> now,
Now turn to your spouse and say, do I look more like Jesus than I used to? No fights in here, no fights. But he wants us to understand that God has provided everything we need to be like Jesus. Now, look at verse 16. I say then, this is great, so say this with me. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How are we gonna be like Jesus? Walking in the spirit. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. I can't imagine being in this world without the Holy Ghost. We have two choices. Every one of us here tonight, we can walk in the flesh and its lusts, or we can walk in the spirit. There is not another choice. We have only those two. If we walk in the spirit, it will kill the flesh and its activities. God's got one solution for the flesh. Kill it. Kill it. Now, elsewhere, Paul wants us to know that the flesh is evil. In Romans 7, 18, he writes these words. And this is a great description of the flesh. And I know that as I read it, you can identify with this. He said, in me, that is in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. Not a little bit. No good thing. Our flesh is beyond redemption. Now, what exactly is the flesh? The flesh, as Paul refers to it, is that fallen part of us that naturally gravitates to sin. It pulls, it, it is drawn, it leans toward sin. Our flesh sins as easily as we breathe. He's not saying, for instance, that our body is sinful. Now, I want you to say with me, my body is not sinful. He's not talking about your body. He's not talking about your form. He's not talking about what you see when you look in the mirror. That's not the flesh he's identifying. So your body is good because God made it and said it is good. The flesh is described by Paul like this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, meaning born of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. Now here we can all identify with this. For what I am doing, I don't understand. How many of you have ever said, I can't believe, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? I know I shouldn't do this. Why am I doing this? For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing to do the right thing is present with me, but the doing of the good thing is not present with me. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I don't want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it. It is sin which dwells in me. Sounds like a schizophrenic to me. <laughs> Spiritual schizophrenia. But that's exactly what it is. I find then, here's a principle, that evil is always there in my flesh, the one who wants to do good. Folks, I want to promise you, you give your flesh half a chance, it will always do the wrong thing. Your flesh will always do the wrong thing. We must understand here that a man, a man in sin is not man as God intended him to be. Man in sin is a monstrosity. So much for I'm okay, you're okay. 
Now, I wouldn't change one word in that last sentence. I'm going to tell you, man in sin is a monstrosity. Just watch Forensic Files, Dateline ID, these real crime shows where you see normal people, great neighbors and people you would never expect anything from in an evil or wicked sense, and they do the most monstrous things to each other. Why? Because we need to be born again. Because man in sin is a monstrosity. In the flesh, there's nothing you won't do. Give, your ch- you give the flesh in you a chance and time, and there's nothing your flesh won't do. I'm telling you the truth about what lies within you. If it was in Paul, it's in you and me. And that's why it needs to be killed dead. It needs to be killed. The flesh, watch this, has been grafted onto man by the evil one at the time of Adam's fall. God won't bless it or have dealings with it. He has put one solution for your flesh, and that's put it to death. If I, by the Spirit, do kill the deeds of the flesh, I will live. What did God do with your flesh on the cross? We were crucified with Christ. He killed it. That old man was crucified. The flesh, God gave us the Holy Spirit that we might kill the activities of the flesh. Okay? Now, Paul tells us that the weakness of the law Why didn't the law work? Why did we have to have a savior? Was something wrong with the law? No. The law was weak because of our flesh. Our flesh could not live out the law. The flesh could not obey God's commandments. Romans 8.8 says, they that are in the flesh cannot, cannot please God. If you're in the flesh, you're not pleasing God. If you're living according to the dictates of the flesh, You cannot please God. Further, the carnal fleshly mind is the very enemy of God. We don't get enough of this kind of preaching. Let me tell you what. Lost people need to be told, not just that, hey, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He does. But they need to understand that until you're saved, you're an enemy of God, a very enemy of God. We are living as enemies of God until we're saved. And he says, concerning the flesh, it is not, or the the fleshly mind, it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. It needs to be born again. Now, let me show you what God meant and intended in the very beginning. God made man to be indwelt by him. We were made for God to dwell in us like oil in a lantern. The human spirit was to be the home of the Holy Spirit. In harmony with the Holy Spirit, the human spirit was to control the soul, mind, emotions, and will. Man was thus made to exhibit God in the universe. Man man was designed to be a displayer or an exhibitor of God to the universe. Manifest and magnified in the human body. I really do believe that Adam and Eve glowed in the dark until the fall. I believe the Shekinah glory rested on them like a light. But look what happened. In the fall, 
Please understand, church, the Holy Spirit departed from the spirit of men. And rather than being controlled by him, what took over? The flesh. Now the flesh controls unsaved man. His mind, his heart, his will, and his senses are all under the sway of the flesh. This is why Jesus said, read it with me, you must be born again. Born once, you're going to hell. Born twice, you're going to heaven. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're saved. Born once, you're blind. Born twice, you see. Born once, you're living in the flesh. Born twice, you're in the spirit. We are all born. We're all born unplugged, spiritually unplugged, cut off from God. We need to be born again. If you're not born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. You'll never go because you got to be born twice. Why? Because decrepit, fallen flesh cannot enter heaven. We need to be born again, born of the Spirit, born from above. When a person is born again, several miracles take place. His inner man first is cleansed by the precious blood of Christ. How many of you are thankful for that blood? In that precious blood, give the Lord a hand of praise for that. I love God for sending his son. Thank you, Lord. But next, we become a habitation of God through the Spirit. God doesn't live in this building. God lives in you. This building is just brick and stone and wood, carpet, steel. The only reason you sense God in here is because he's coming out of you. Because God lives in you. His home is you. He dwells in you. You are a lantern. And the oil in you is the Holy Spirit. You're a habitation of God. That's why you can't drag him into places God wouldn't go. Got quiet on that one. Let's go belly up to the bar. Take Jesus with us. Now, he next becomes a habitation of God through the Spirit. For the Holy Spirit takes up permanent residence in that person's body and quickens that person to life again. Hence, Every born-again believer has two natures. Please understand this. You have two natures. You're not schizophrenic, but you have two natures. Ready? He has the old, unregenerate nature he was born with, called in Scripture, the flesh or the old man. And anytime you let him, he'll rise up and take charge. Anytime you let him, you can lose your stack, scream and yell, have a bad temper tantrum. You can be filled with fear. You can get in the flesh and gossip and slander or whatever. That flesh is always ready to be released if you let him. That's why you've got to kill him. Good man. Kill that flesh. That's the only thing you've got the right to kill. Your flesh. Now, this nature, this flesh nature can do nothing right. He also has the new nature, the divine nature wrought in him by the Holy Spirit. And these two natures are at war. How many of you know that's true? <clears throat> they are at war. When a believer allows the old flesh nature to have its way in his life, he is a carnal man, carnal Christian. 
You can be as saved as the day is long and walk in the flesh. Be carnal, immature, fleshly. Paul said, I would have shared with you deeper things. He said to the Corinthians, but you are yet carnal. You are yet carnal. When a believer allows that old flesh nature to have its way in his life, he is a carnal man or a carnal woman. <clears throat> the, <clears throat> excuse me, the carnal man is vividly described in Romans 7, 15 through 25. You can read that whenever you want to. But when we allow the indwelling Holy Spirit to have his way in our life, we are a spiritual man or woman. Now let me ask you, which one do you want to be? Spiritual. Carnal Christians fight, devour one another, gossip. You can't tell much difference between them and the world. But spiritual Christians shine. They are distinct. They stand out. They glorify God. They bring forth fruit. They are totally different. It all comes down to what have you decided to walk in, the flesh or the spirit? It's a choice every morning. Have you ever noticed you can walk in the spirit one day and in the flesh the next? Or you can start out your day in the spirit and end up in the flesh? Or start out, start out your day in the flesh and end up in the spirit? Have you noticed you can have a great prayer meeting, get in your car and get in rush hour traffic and... Uh, my flesh is always saying, come on, let me out, come on, right then. But no, the spiritual man or woman learn to practice the presence of God. They live in the word, they live in prayer, and they have learned that when the flesh wants to rise up, by the power of the spirit, they put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's easy to see that Paul's command in verse 16 is a command to return to the way God originally meant for us to be. Repositories of his glory. Isn't that right? Let me ask you a question. Which do you think most of the American or Western church lives in? The flesh or the spirit? Look at that immediately. Why don't we live in the spirit? Because it takes discipline, it takes work, it takes determination, it takes trial and, and, and failure, and it, it's not easy because you've got to crucify yourself, your own desires, not my will, Lord, but thine be done in every area of my life. We don't like being crucified. But on the other side of crucifixion of the flesh is life and peace and joy. God originally intended for us to be controlled by his spirit, walking in his presence and exhibiting God to the world. It all becomes a matter of obedience, of yielding to the spirit. Now in closing, let's stand together and I want to read this uh, together. Read it with me. And next week, we're going to talk about the fruits of the spirit and the works of the flesh. And it's good stuff. Don't miss it. But let's read now. Are you ready? For the flesh and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so you do not do the things that you wish. Let's pray. Father, we have seen the way it really is tonight. We can walk in the flesh or we can walk in the spirit. 
If we walk in the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. If we walk in the spirit, we're going to reap life everlasting. In our current society, it's easy to let the world tell you that some parts of the Bible are outdated and don't matter anymore. As Christians, we read the Bible, but do we truly accept all of it to be true? Today, Pastor Jeff explained that the Bible is divinely inspired by God and still remains true today. As Christians, we will face tribulations just like His Word says, but we need to have the full counsel of the Bible by our side. This is our strongest defense. Are you interested in partnering with us here at Hardwired? We'd love for you to come alongside us in supporting this ministry. All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. That number once more is 817-484-4767 and text GIVE. Thanks so much for prayerfully considering this today. And thanks for listening. Daniel has more to tell you about what's ahead on the upcoming edition. Have you ever faced a time in your life so tough that you just wanted to give up? Have you ever been so overwhelmed with trying to fix everything you got stuck in a rut? Next time on Hardwired, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that the only way to weather the storms of life is through the power of God. You will never be able to save yourself. Call upon the name of the Lord and be free from the burdens that are weighing you down. It will be a burden lifted. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hardwired.org. Join us next time to continue our study in the book of Galatians right here on Hardwired.